The Money Show. Business Unusual. With Colin Cullis. I think there was a perfume in the 1990s called ESP. Extrasensory perception. And people, I'm sure, would love to have extrasensory perception when it came to investing in stock markets. But I don't think that's a strategy. What is a new strategy, Colin Cullis, is this idea of ESG. Um, it's more fragrant, I think, than even ESP ever was. More sustainable, Bruce, I think, is what they're going for. And uh, it wouldn't typically fit into the what I would normally pick up on business unusual because I usually look at things that weird things that businesses are doing that are coming down the track for us as consumers or new businesses that are disrupting the way we've typically worked with things. This one kind of goes the other way around. It's something that has come from people looking to disrupt the way businesses operate. And so typically uh, capitalism has relied on the notion that um, you get an amount of money, you want to create a service or a product, you sell it to people for a maximum profit, and then those profits are shared amongst the company and its investors, uh, and everybody's kind of happy. Uh, but that's turned out to not be a, a very clever way for, for sustainability. And, and certainly a younger generation, kind of skeptical that uh, older generations didn't sort of um, use the planet a little bit willy-nilly are now facing all sorts of things from uh, climate change, uh, let's see, health pandemics and economic crises uh, just in their relatively short lives, assuming these are the, 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 the ones, the, the millennials. So they're only about 50 years old right now and they're thinking, wow, we've really seen quite a bit. We may have uh, avoided a few world wars, uh, but no doubt they feel like they have had a, a really tough time. So a, a quick recap then of the kind of investments that were related to these. Uh, back in the mid-90s, the idea of a triple bottom line became popular with the regular bottom line simply being profits. And then you wanted to add these additional bottom lines for uh, characterizing how well a company was doing by how well it looked after its people and how well it looked after the planet. Uh, everybody loved the idea. Nobody knew how to measure it. Or rather, people just made up how they were measuring it and uh, said, we're uh, fantastic with triple bottom line. Marketing departments are happy. Uh, investors, not so much. Uh, then came socially responsible investing. And that still is a very big thing. Uh, uh, but what it, it is characterized by is that investors or funds uh, seek to avoid any companies that don't align with their values. So it doesn't seek to uh, uh, ask companies to do good things. It sim simply seeks to avoid the ones that they don't like. So if you or the fund or the pension you're with says, listen, we don't want to invest in um, gambling, uh, then your fund simply avoids any companies that have anything to do with that. There is no pressure on a gambling company to reform its ways or to become more sustainable or, or, or better in that way. Uh, and then the most sort of uh, ardent version of, of this sort of uh, type of investments is impact investing. And there the investor is looking to forego a return uh, for the investment of having something uh, in, in society be improved. So this includes sort of investments in nonprofits where effectively you're saying, I'm not going to get my money back. But as a result of the work that let's say a gift of the givers do, uh, there'll be fewer people who are in abject poverty or without any access to the most basic things. I'd like to say that impact investing should be what citizens do or expect from their taxes. Unfortunately, <laughs> uh, they don't quite get that kind of return. But maybe one day, maybe one day we can all refer to taxation as impact investing, uh, which brings us then to this one, the environmental, social and corporate governance uh, type, um, which is you know, similar to the social responsibly, socially responsible investing, but rather than saying, we're just going to forget about anybody we don't like, they look to engage all of the companies to say, have a look at the impact on the environment and on society and on your governance and let everybody get a little better and a little more sustainable, uh, you know, so that it sort of everything gets uh, improves that way. And its history is, is quite interesting because the uh, UN Millennium Development Goals 
uh, which were which were launched in 2002 for the purpose of, of ending extreme poverty by tackling eight key areas that would keep people that way. Now, while those were uh, aimed at governments to look to do their part, uh, the UN obviously understood that without you know, businesses, uh, uh, there is there is a lot more that, that would need to be done. Uh, the plan was to have that achieved by 2015, uh, but given that the UN is ostensibly politicians, when they failed to achieve that, it became the Sustainable Development Goals. So we're still looking to do them. Uh, we just sort of extended the time period. Uh, but to the credit of Kofi Annan, who was UN Secretary General at the time, he in 2000 uh, had, had, had sought to create this global compact to invite businesses to, to sign up to become more socially responsible corporate citizens. And in 2004, he created this idea of the uh, ESG investing by asking specifically uh, for the integration of environmental, social and corporate governance factors into capital markets. And this is kind of how we, we got to where we are now. But most recently, the champion, certainly for the last two years, uh, and has, I think, been responsible for a, a very big part of its adoption, has been Black. BlackRock's Larry Fink. Uh, we yes. featured him uh, last year. He became known for his letters to his annual letters to the CEOs, probably uh, as influential these days as uh, Warren Buffett's uh, sort of investor relations and giving his, uh, his, uh, his take every year, uh, which he started writing uh, after the financial crisis in 2008. Uh, last year, the focus he put is that our companies need to address the impact we're having on our climate and, and get to net zero. And this year, he is talking about the, the growth in funds and the need for companies to be able to align for investors who want to invest in these ESG type funds. It, it takes two broad categories. One, the millennials, because they're, uh, they don't want a quick buck uh, and that's going to cost them the planet. And very large investors who ultimately would like to see that wealth uh, sustained for generations beyond themselves than be a sort of a one hit wonder with them and then uh, disappear a little, a little down, the, down the road. So while ostensibly this is for investors, whether it be in, in individuals or funds or pensions, a very big part of it, um, it's ultimately uh, for a company's own benefit, the likelihood of you being able to receive funding, certainly sustainable funding for new projects and new ventures, is probably going to be based on whether or not you are aligned with us, because most of the new capital that seems to be coming available is aligned with this ESG type stuff. Yeah. And then, of course, it's, uh, it's good for you know, just regular Joe Public and the planet in large. The tricky part, though, is, is how we go about determining it. And this remains something that is, is not quite yet resolved. So I suspect in the next couple of years, as, as money goes sloshing towards it, there's basically an opportunity for companies, the good data quant type crowd, uh, and then the actual investors, asset managers and the like, who, who are going to be really testing uh, those um, CEOs come reporting time to start quizzing them about their, their various factors. Uh, but... Um, the broad, the broad-based things, and uh, one company that has been doing quite a lot with this has been MSCI, who put together an index now, uh, and they list the, for the environmental stuff: uh, carbon emissions, water consumption, land use, toxic emissions, packaging, electronic and material waste, and energy consumption. That's how it relates to the environment. For yep. society, human capital, supply chains, product quality and safety, privacy and data security. Uh, and ethical sourcing and transparency. And then for governance, these are ones that are a little more well-known, pay structures and incentives, accounting, anti-competitive practices, business ethics, corruptions, uh, and instability, and tax compliance. And one of the things that I didn't realize about what it was looking to do is that a company that, for example, was embroiled in some or other low-level scandal or mid-level sort of corruption thing would actually mark them down on this ES ESG-type ranking and index. So that even if you weren't following it, 
and knowing exactly what their business is doing or the cyclical range of the markets. <clears throat> the fact that their, their corporate governance might be a bit wanting suggests that probably at some other point they're going to falter. They're going to miss a product launch. They're not going to deliver a product with the same quality. They're not going to get the marketing right. And so somewhere else along the line, they'll stumble or they'll look to try and cover something up. So the fact that it isn't just looking at, you know, what profit did you make, which is a very simple thing for us to measure, uh, does suggest that this is actually a more comprehensive way of evaluating a company and spotting the things that maybe would be considered, well, let's not worry about that uh, in the short term when they actually turn out to be massive things longer in the longer term. Mm. Uh, and I'm reminded for companies maybe like a Steinoff or something, there probably yep. have been elements in their reporting that looked a little fiddly, but not necessarily the bottom line. So ugh, I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure they'll take care of it. Yet this would have been the sort of little uh, canary in the mind uh, to warn us of what's potentially coming. And uh, again, MSCI's sort of rating uh, uses the same ones that the rating agencies do. So there are seven of them from AAA, AA, A, triple B, double B, B, and triple C, triple C being sort of laggards as they call them. <laughs> the B's are average and the AAA or the A's are, are the good guys. Uh, and so I went to go and have a look at their ranking. There's a lovely little tool online. I'll, I'll, I'll put it in the article I post as well for you to go and check a company and to see what their rating is. And uh, I figured I'd take the FANG group of companies because those are the ones I generally blather on about the most. Uh, and they're all in the Bs. Uh, Facebook comes really? in at a flat B. Apple come, yeah. Apple comes in at a triple B. Amazon triple B. Netflix uh, triple B, and Google double B. And that's only recently they've just gone down. There used to be an A. In South Africa, I was impressed. I think to say that Naspers is an A, and Standard Bank a double A. So there is some uh, good sort of principles and things that are happening uh, in South Africa in this regard as well, to have some of those companies already ranking uh, so highly on the index. The other Colin Colors. Sorry, sorry. I thought, I, thought, I thought you were done. Forgive me. Well, no. <laughs> have, a, have a last thought. So, so the, 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 the last element I'd mention is that while um, the measurements are still a bit of a challenge, uh, the large auditing firms have had a sort of a very dodgy decade. And so, again, the smaller companies looking to embrace these sorts of principles, use the very clever data scientists to interrogate reports and to, to, to winkle pick the stuff out, uh, would both have an opportunity to contest with some of those uh, large auditing firms and, and to provide these sorts of reporting, as well as compel those large audit firms to stop uh, being prepared to look the other way and sort of just you know, do, do what they can to keep somebody happy by including all of these things. Uh, and it is very simply uh, encouraging to see that because there's more uh, uh, investment done on this and there are efforts to make it easier for, for people to be able to uh, create metrics for this, then perhaps Pavlo might even wane us on, 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 on the soon because small businesses looking to get access to capital markets, assuming that as a small business, it's the easiest for you to adopt sustainable principles, to adopt these sorts of ESG type uh, metrics, would get access to a massive wealth of funding, uh, which could set you up to be the next big, disruptive, incredible business, uh, rather than having to languish while the incumbents sit and, and, and uh, take all your money or wait for you simply to be taken over. So it looks like a very uh, encouraging way. We are a long, long way to go. Uh, but this is one of the places where the, the, the disruption seems to be better than not. And if I look at our listeners, I asked them ahead of the show, uh, what do you want from investments? Their options were show me the money, 42%, <laughs> do no harm and a profit, 10%, and thankfully, just squeaking in with 47% were do good and a profit. Do good and a profit. That would be nice. Thank you. Colin Cullis with Business Unusual.